Welcome to the podcast of Revival Life Church, a spirit-filled multicultural church in Boca Raton, Florida. If you would like more information about Revival Life Church or Pastor Carl Thomas, you can find us on the web at revivallife.church. Hallelujah. John chapter 1, we're going to start. Just turn me down one touch if you would. I'm just ringing. Just a hair though. Just a hair. I'm ringing. That or the mics are on. One or the other. John chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 19. This is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites to him from Jerusalem to ask, Who are you? And he confessed and did not deny. And this is what he confessed. I am not the Christ. And so they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you? Tell us so that we may give an answer to those who sent us. Who do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one calling out in the wilderness. Make the way of the Lord straight, as Isaiah the prophet said. And the messengers had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him and said to him, Why then are you baptizing if you are not Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, of whom I am not worthy even to untie the strap of his sandal. These things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing people. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Amen, amen. Thank you, Mikey. Thank you, Mikey. Thank you, Mikey. Hallelujah. We are in our third week of uh, our Advent series. And uh, for many people, this is like the most joyous time of year because next week we all have a a great reason to celebrate, right? It's it's my birthday on Wednesday. Uh, And so um, on the 26th, I know many people the world over, Mikey, will be gathering around tables, rejoicing, that the Lord has sent Carl into, the, no, no, my family will, but beyond that, probably not as many people will be rejoicing, but we will be rejoicing in, in the sending of Jesus, but, but there's a counter narrative. See, that's the truth. There's a counter narrative going out through the world. Let me, let me just share for a moment, if, if you would allow me to. I was reading the Washington Post last week, and uh, there was this article about a farmer who, who had committed suicide, a farmer in, I believe he was in Iowa, and his family took this up as a cause because they found that so many farmers are committing suicide. There's an epidemic among farmers in our country to the point where it's affecting the family farm. And, and the family was like, well, we know we had some debt problems. We know that he was nervous about what he was going to pass down to his family. Um, his sons wanted to go in farming, and he was worried about how well they would do. And I read it and I felt compassion as a man of God, as a Christian, as just a human being. I felt bad for the family that lost the father. They had young children. And, uh, but then I just kind of, you know, I prayed and then I, I kind of tucked it away. And then I was uh, on, on um, a social media uh, website, Reddit, and uh, there's a subreddit on Reddit and uh, it's uh, called Last Pictures. And it's where people post the last known picture of a someone they knew who had passed away. It might be a celebrity. It might be a family member. And, and when I went on there, I started seeing this trend as I went through. This is the list of posts, and everything is pink is their friend who passed away through suicide. 
And there's two more in that list among the top posts. Just a random day, the top posts of the people who passed away. Uh, all those people in Pitt committed suicide, and two more had overdosed on drugs. And I said, wow, I'm, I'm beginning to see a pattern here, Lord. What are, you, what, are you, what are you trying to show me? And so I did a little bit of research, and according to... Um, the, the, the Center for uh, Disease Control in the United States, suicide is the number two or number three cause of death in Americans between the ages of 10 and 34. It's number four among people 35 to 44. So under f- age 44, suicide is the leading cause of death and one of the four top leading causes of death. And believe it or not, it's not on this list, but from... Five to nine, it's number eight, which is insane. It's just insane. And, and I'm like, Lord, what, what, what are you trying to tell me? Because this is the season to be expecting Jesus to come in the world. As Miriam, who, who, who preached last week, she did such a good job, right? Can we just give a hand for Miriam who just brought the word of God in, in, in such, a, such an amazing way? We live in a society where we have an epidemic that's still beginning, still lingering in our society of COVID, but suicide is at an epidemic level. It's crazy that there is a leading cause of death where people just kill themselves. They just, they just absolutely have no hope that the future will be better than the world they're living in right now. There, there's no belief that, that one day in the future, if I can just hold on long enough, things will actually be worth living for. Our country has lots of issues, and our society as a whole has lots of issues. There, there's there's this, this depression that leads to suicide. There's this mounting debt crisis. If you're watching the markets at all, there is this consumer debt avalanche that's coming due. Americans are getting deeper and deeper into consumer debt. We're not talking about businesses investing in the future. We're not talking about people trying to buy homes to create generational wealth. We talk about people buying things they can't pay for. And this increased consumer debt is increasing the depression problem. As a matter of fact, this lawyer, excuse me, this this farmer who took his own life, the family believed that it was because of the farm's inability to make money. Our our world, if you notice it, if you look at popular culture, it's in a doomed spiral of death, just more and more pessimistic about the future. As a matter of fact, there's whole news stations that make their entire living on making you worried about the future, whether or not it's even true, because for some reason, this doom and death spiral resonates with so many people. It is amplifying and magnifying and affirming the voice inside of them that things are bad and only getting worse. We got Americans living lives they can't afford, and we got to ask, what is happening? Why all the hopelessness. Why are so many people financing lives they can't afford? How do we live in a world that is so unhappy and disaffected? Why are we so inebriated with doom in this world that it's just more popular to complain than to believe 
in the future. And how do we as believers, how do we live in a world that is ending its own life, that has no hope for the future, that doesn't see any value in education, does not see a reason to be productive. How do we as believers live in this world, let alone not allowing it to affect us? How are we able to be salt and light in a world that is trapped in a self-affirming cycle of doom? This is what we have to figure out as believers in today's day and age. Gone is the day where we can just be the church and say, we're going to bunk, we're going to hunker down. We're going to create these four walls. It's us four and no more. The world can go to hell. We just want to make sure that we are safe until the end. That is not the church of Jesus Christ. That is not what we were created for. That is not the true reality. We have a mission in this world today. We have a ministry and we have something that the world desperately needs. We have, we have the answers that the world is looking for, and we have to embody it before we can move forward. The Bible has a lot to say about this doom cycle. We're in this Advent series. Advent is us looking at the Christ who came 2,000 years ago, but also, as Miriam said, the Christ who is still coming. Aren't you glad he's still coming for you? Aren't you glad that everything he's doing isn't done already? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, one class, we all clap. Aren't you glad that Jesus is still coming and he's rescuing and he's saving and he's speaking a better word? I am. And why do we need to embody this? Why why the church calendar? Why are we doing an Advent message series? Why aren't we just being sentimental about that time that Jesus came 2,000 years ago? Why are we still looking forward to Jesus coming in our lives? Listen, if we're going to be the people God called us to be, we have to recognize that Jesus moves in us before he moves through us. The world can recognize an inauthentic voice. The world knows when people are just selling something they don't actually believe in, the scam marketing. The, we're just marketed on every angle, from every side, everywhere we go. There's advertisements embedded in everything. And we can tell the moment we click on a video if they're trying to sell us a product or if they are actually being authentic. You know it. You know you're, we're, we're trained. And the generation that's coming up is not buying into the lies of the marketing schemes that worked in years past. We, we can't just put a, a happy face on something that's miserable. We can't just say, just fake it till you make it. It does not work. And all the marketing says as they, as they, as they poll the millennials and beyond, that they are skeptical of authoritarian voices because they do not believe what the generations are selling them. And the world is beginning to say, I'm, I'm tired of being marketed lies. And it turns out today that the youngest generations in our country would rather choose misery than forced fakeness. They would rather live in authentic depression than a fake happiness. And it's hard to argue because we are the people of the book. We are the people who have a recorded history of persecution and misery that we often deny. Why? Why does the Bible 
capture all of the defeats of our heroes? Why does the Bible capture the moral failings of those whom we loved? Why, why does the Bible show all the times that people got it wrong? Why, why not just, just make it a happy book where people just read it and they see that life is going to be perfect and beautiful? Why? Because Christianity was created to be an authentic relationship with the living God through Jesus Christ. And the truth is that, amen, and the truth is that in this life there are many sorrows. But Jesus said, take comfort, I have overcome the world. If we are going to help this world, and I pray that that is heavy on your heart, if we're going to help this world not kill themselves before they come into the hope. We better get real about what happens in this world and what it takes to live an overcoming life. There's a story that's going on and on in the Bible. I heard Tim Mackey recently say, and I believe I've quoted this recently, he said, the Bible is just a collection of a handful of stories told over and over and over again. Why is that? Why do we see the same stories repeated throughout scriptures? Because there is nothing new under the sun. There's no new sins that we're wrestling with. There's no new problems in the world the world has not seen before. There's no new emotional patterns. As much as we like to think that we're on the cutting edge and we're special and we're so much better than the generations that come before us, all we have to do is read some ancient literature or read some ancient fiction to see that there's, the hopes that we have are the same hopes that people have always had. The fears that we have are the same fears that the world has always had because there is the same God that's always been here and there's the same devil that has always been here. And people are people wherever you go. Have you noticed that? We're like, oh, if I could just leave this place, my problems would be solved. No, no, you're still there. And so the problems will still be there. When we're young, we like to blame them on our parents. We get a little bit older, we blame them all on ourselves. And when we get mature, we realize problems just are. And I just need to live through them to see a better life. And Jesus, Jesus, Jesus wasn't fake about this. He, he, didn't, he didn't promise us a life that we couldn't live. He didn't, he didn't give us a song and dance and said, hey, if you just follow me, then it's all going to be sunshine and roses. No, Jesus was honest. He said, listen, there's going to be some troubles, but if you would put your hope in me, life will be better. In this life, God is speaking a different word than our culture is speaking. I was speaking with some leaders this weekend, and I was talking about the need for countercultural spiritual formation in our lives. The problem is we don't recognize the society that we live in. We are unable to look at it through an objective lens and say, wow, these are the issues at work in my society that I am baptized into. It takes a prophetic I to see the world that we're living in, and then it takes countercultural spiritual formation to choose to live differently than this world. The church in America today has the same problems the world has because the church in America hasn't come out of the world. Christians have the same hopes that the world has. They have put their hope in the same things the world is putting their hopes in. Putting their hopes in politicians, putting their hopes in money, putting their hopes in being famous or rich or pretty and 
none of those things will work. Can you say amen? amen? None of those things will fix the problems that we genuinely face. Now, whether, whether we speak of the tragedy of suicide or the burden of consumer debt or this expectation of doom that is at work in our world, they're all trying to create a physical world that will bring inner peace. The pattern that we see with the people of the world as opposed to the people of Jesus, what they, the, but the, what the thread they have in common is that they have this belief that if I can just change my circumstances, then I can get that at peace in me. If I can just control what's going on in my family, then I can be at peace. If I can just control my financial situation, then I'll be able to sleep at night. If I can just control how people look at me, then I won't be anxious anymore. It is the way of the world. If I, I can't actually be at peace unless these other things are under my control. And Jesus speaks a very, very different world. And John the Baptist spoke the opposite of this. You see, everybody wants to be somebody. We want to be significant. We want to be important. And the Bible tells us there's nothing wrong with wanting to be significant. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be a person of influence. As a matter of fact, Jesus commended his disciples for wanting to be people of influence, what he rebuked them for was doing it the way the world does it. The way the world does it is through power politics, through control, through domination, through violence, through uh, manipulation. And Jesus said, I have a better way for you to do this. Here's the way. You trust me and just be good people. And it's like, man, that's, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if that's going to work. But John, John was very, very different. John said, listen, I'm not trying to tell you how to see me. As a matter of fact, I'm not even trying to be anybody. Let's look at his words. If you well, Let's look here at John chapter 1 in our scripture today, verse 19. Here's what he says. Here's John. Everybody comes out to see him, and this is like the preacher's wildest dream. The world is coming out and thinking that you're a big somebody. I tell you, there are a million Pentecostal preachers who would pay a lot of money to be in the place where John was at because they knew they were going to sell books and they know that they're going to be able to sell streams and they're going to get invited to conferences. But John was not like these people. Watch this. John chapter 1, verse 19. This is John the Baptist, who's a different John than wrote this book. The man who wrote the book is what we call John the Beloved. We... He called himself the beloved of the Lord. We, he's, you know, was feeling himself a little bit. This is John the Baptist, who was the cousin of Jesus. He was the older cousin of Jesus. He says this in verse 19 about John the Baptist. This is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites to him from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And they said, And he confessed and did not deny. And this is what he confessed. I am not the Christ. And so they said to him, what then? Today's preachers would say, I am the man of God who you should listen to the prophetic word, touch not God's anointed. If you will honor me, then God will honor you. God does nothing except speaking through his servants, the prophets. Anybody know what I'm talking about? That's not what John did. John said in verse 
22, he says, they asked him in verse 21, are, are you the prophet? He said, no. Then they said to him, well, who are you? Tell us so that we may give an answer to those who send us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one calling out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. I want you to see some very significant things right here in this scripture. Number one, I want you to see that John did not say that he was anybody. John, John, John was saying, I, I am just a man. I, who I am is not important. It's him who matters. It's the one I am talking about that is important. John's significance was found in the fact that he was pointing people to Jesus. As a matter of fact, if you read that scripture, he's preaching a sermon such amazing that people from all over were coming out. And not just nobodies, not just the broke people with demons who were trying to get the demons cast out, not just the sick who needed to be healed, not just those who weren't being regarded highly in society. The who's who of the Israelite zoo was out there watching him, the priests and the Levites, all the somebodies were watching him. And, and John was preaching and he even said, even what I'm preaching is not me. I'm quoting Isaiah the prophet. Nothing I'm doing points to me. The only significant thing I'm doing is telling you he is coming and you need to get ready for him. In this world where they say, be your own person, you need to stand out from the crowd. Only count on yourself. You are the one who's going to make the difference. John came uh, said a very different word. John didn't say, I am coming with the anointed word. I have been anointed. I am amazing. No, no. John said, Jesus is coming. And if you can receive him, everything in your life can become better. Can you say amen? Amen. 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 And, and here is the challenge. This is the challenge that we face as evangelists in this world today. This is our challenge as Christians in the world today. We have to break the death doom cycle. Hear me, church. Hear me. If we are going to survive as a church in Boca Raton, that loves the truth, if we're going to survive as a, as a voice in Boca Raton, we have to break the death-doom cycle first internally. We have to stop listening to every voice of doom that enters our head. We have to break every voice of destruction that enters our heart. We have to do the work of countercultural spiritual formation and be actual witnesses in South Florida for Jesus. We have to say, I understand what this entire world worships, but I worship something different. And it has to be more than just something we say. It has to be reality that we live. You cannot worship at the altar of self-consciousness all week and come Sunday and say you worship at the altar of Jesus. We have to give up our right to be looked at as amazing by this world. We have to live an authentic life where we've broken the death-doom cycle in our hearts 
and we actually believe that Jesus is good. Can you say amen? This is, this, is, this is work. Let's be honest right now. This is work. Because we were formed by a world that says we're not thin enough, we're not muscular enough, we're not pretty enough, we're not young enough, we're not rich enough, and it does not matter what you attain. It will not satisfy if your appetite always needs more. Can we just be honest for a second, church? Can, can we just, can we just, I just want to, I just want to talk to you. I just want to, I just want to talk. We, 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 we know this. Nobody's, this is not the first time anybody's heard this. This is not the first time anybody's heard this. But right now, we say, yes, yes, pastor, absolutely. I absolutely agree with you. We cannot live in this cycle of needing more. And as soon as this one thing works out, I'll be done. As soon as I get a little more, I'll stop needing a little more. We, we just need to get a little more real than that. We, we have to, at this moment in time, before the end of 2023, see what is on the altar of our heart that we think that we need. I'll, I'll, I'll serve God when this, when this thing works out. I, I'll, I'll be faithful to God when this thing comes together. We will, my family will worship when, when, when this thing lines up. At some point, we've got to say, I, I, I can't wait for anything else, for my life to line up, for me to live the life that God has called me to live. I'm going to have to start right now. The formation has to start somewhere. And I'm begging us at a church as a church, me, starting in me, that we would worship God in a way that we're not saying, I'll be happy when this happens. I'll be satisfied when I get that breakthrough. We have to begin to train our spirit man to say, I am satisfied with Jesus. He is all that my spirit man really needs. Y'all don't have to clap loud if you don't want to. That's fine. If it's hard for you to hear that, that's okay. I'm okay with that. This is supposed to be difficult. This is you breaking free from everything this world is telling you. This is you deciding that I am not going to be formed by the American dream. I'm going to be formed by this dream that John the Baptist had. I'm going to be formed by this dream that Isaiah had. I'm going to be formed by the dream that Paul had. I'm going to be formed by the dream that the father had when he created me in my mother's womb and sent me in the world. I am going to believe another report that Jesus Christ is actually going to be enough for me in my life. This is hard. This is hard and it has to be done on purpose. Now hear me. I love you all and, and, and I, want, um, I want you to enjoy going to church and I hope you don't feel like I'm mad at you because I'm not. I, I'm not. I, I love this church. I love the people of this church. I, I love the guests of this church. I love some other people, but I, but, but I'm, I'm not angry. You're not, you don't have a pastor in the, in the pulpit angry preaching at you. I'm, I'm not. I'm desperate to see a church in Boca that's looking for more than entertainment. I'm, I'm looking, I'm, 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 I'm desperate for a people to be a part of that we actually taste and see that the Lord is good. And that we live out of that. That we actually hear the voice that I'm not good enough and we recognize it as the devil. 
that we know that did not come from the heart of God. And we don't have to debate it every night into the middle of the night. We don't have to wake up in the middle of the night with anxiety, wondering how people looked at me when I talked at that thing, or what's my retirement going to look like, or is God going to come through in this situation? I'm, 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 I'm wrestling right now between the message that I have prepared and the message that I feel the Spirit speaking right now. And um, I want to try to be free, but I want to honor your time at the same point. But Jesus moves in us before he moves through us. And many of us are praying for our families. I hope you are. I hope you're praying for your neighbors. I hope you're praying for your coworkers. That's good. I hope you're sharing the word of God with them. I, ho- I hope you're sharing the good news. But I hope that you are submitting yourself to Jesus in a way that your life looks different. That we are not in depression when the market goes down. We're not in depression when we can't afford the latest makeup. We're not in depression when we don't have this year's bag. We're not in depression when we don't have this year's car. That we're not in depression when we don't, we don't reflect the world and their values. I tell you, I meet with um, couples who want to who want to talk with me, and um, and uh, my, my wife and I we don't we don't uh, travel the world, we don't don't have a mansion, uh, we don't drive fancy cars. But I, I I lay down every single night next to a woman who loves me, and I never in my twenty two years, be twenty three years in February, years of marriage, worried about my wife cheating on me. I've never once worried about infidelity in my wife's life. I, I don't know my wife's phone pin thing. She keeps telling me, I just don't remember these things. And you know what? And I, and I don't care. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not worried about it. Like, my, my marriage is solid. And I tell you, I, amen, amen. I was, um, I was meeting with a prophet this week. <clears throat> and he's like, you know, how's, how's your family? I was like, man, my kids are flourishing. Both my kids are flourishing. They're both just doing amazingly well. Praise God. How are your kids? I have a 20-year-old 20, 20 and a, one's about to be 23. And uh, oh, Are they rich? No, I don't, no, not rich. No, They own cars and like, are they like, see, no, no. They're both flourishing though. They're both absolutely flourishing in life. Oh, how's your marriage? Marriage is great. Marriage is doing wonderful. Everything's, everything's really good, you know. Um, you know, here's the things I'd like to pray about. I'd like to pray about these things, these things in my life that I'd like to see change, but none of those things will affect my eternal happiness because I have the fruit of following Jesus at work in my life. I was sitting at a coffee bar this week uh, doing some study, uh, studying the scriptures and preparing my message. I was sitting next to three men, and uh, God was speaking to me about this message series. And these guys, I was trying to sit by myself, kind of sat in a corner by myself and these three guys sat like right next to me i'm like bro like like <laughs> boundaries boundaries right <clears throat> and there's three guys and they begin talking and uh two guys knew each other and the one guy was introducing the one guy to the th- third guy so there's a new guy he's trying to introduce him and it turns out the the first guy was a real estate developer and um he was talking about not that I was eavesdropping, you get it, you know, just they were talking to let you know, you understand, I wasn't trying to listen. But they're talking about the real estate development that he's done and just the hundreds of acres. He, I don't buy anything less than 30 million and we don't, we don't, we don't, we don't develop anything less than 100 acres. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's, 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 that, that's something, right? And so his company's like doing this, all these, and this other guy, he's a general contractor and he only 
does certain levels of whatever. And they're talking, I mean, they're talking money that's like monopoly money to me. I'm just going to be honest with you. For me, it's, it's, it's like, it, it might as well be fake, right? Like, it, these aren't real numbers to me. And, and, and it turns out they're all about my age. And the third guy's like, yeah, I, re- I retired about, you know, 10 years. I, when he talked about when he retired, I'm like, when you retired, <laughs> you're talking about retiring already. That's, that's something. And it turns out that this, you know, the third guy in the group uh, had been a major league ball player for nine years. And I'm just sitting there. I'm like, well, these are some very, very wealthy people, God. And uh, I'm kind of fighting the funk today. I'm going to be honest with you. Um, and hearing about these guys that, are, that are, have, have achieved the American dream is challenging my heart while I'm trying to write a message on not longing for the American dream, right? Like, what are we doing here? God, I don't understand. Is this the devil? Do I need to rebuke them? Should I be witnessing? What are you doing right now, God? This is not helping at all. My laptop won't turn on and I got the... So here's, I'm like, I'm like, at these millionaires, and I'm like just trying to casually like hit my laptop to make it start, you know, like I don't want them to see that I'm trying to hit my laptop to maybe, maybe it'll turn on, you know, that's, and I'm just sitting there, I'm like, I'm just, this is just going on, and I'm just like, God, all right, I'm just, I surrender to you, Jesus, and, and at the moment I said that, the men began to give each other advice on how to navigate their divorces, All of them are giving each other advice on how you navigate the divorce, how you navigate the shared custody, how, how you try to protect your assets. And the one guy's talking about his dating life and how he realized that he had a girlfriend, he thought it was a girlfriend, it's really just somebody who's supporting financially, and he, he wasn't the only boyfriend, you know. And I'm just like, I'm just sitting there like, oh, I wouldn't trade my life for all the money you got. <laughs> no, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. I don't want nothing y'all got. And y'all might need to see a doctor. I don't know because I do not. Thank you, Jesus. You see, when you live a prophetic life, this is the kind of stuff that happens regularly in your life. You, the Lord just takes you through these things to see. Man, this, to, to many people, they want to be like these folks. And, and the guys like talking about, yeah, I got the kids this week. I got to pick my daughter up. And they're starting to have drinks. I'm like, you're going to go get your daughter and you're having some drinks. And he's like, I'm going to call them and tell them to put her in aftercare. I'm like, good God. I just can't imagine in the afternoon telling my daughter to go to aftercare so I can knock back some more. I'm like, no, I'm picking up. My, I'm, I'm, I raised my kids. I'm, 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 I'm good. Do you see the, 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 how God is trying to help us understand there is a world who is desperate for happiness. There's a world that's desperate for joy. Are you hearing me? There is a world that desperately needs this gospel that we have, but we have to break the internal doom cycle and begin to meditate on the goodness of God. This, this is what David had to do. David, I, 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 I encourage people to read the Psalms because when we read the Psalms, we get to look at King David's prayer book. And he writes in there, why are you so downcast, oh my soul? Put your hope in God. 
David knew this thing that I'm trying to share with you that I hope that you would share with the world that there is a hope that we have in Jesus that we cannot get any other way. There's no development that's going to do it. There's no money that's going to do it. There's no side piece that's going to bring you a joy that you're supposed to be getting in security. It will not happen. We have to speak to our own soul. Put your hope in God. Our God is well able to do what we need. There was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They had in their heart. They said to the, to, to, to the king, they said, listen, you can throw us in the fire if you want, but my God is well able to deliver me from the fire. And then they said, even if he doesn't, I will not bow down to the gods of this world. Paul, while he's a prisoner in Rome, chained to a wall, he knew the same thing. He wrote in the book of Ephesus, he wrote to the church in Ephesus, he says this, he says, now to him, the God, this God that I know, this God that I've encountered, this God who, who, who has changed my entire life, he says, to him, this God who is able to do far more abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works where? Within us. To Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. But there are these two forces at work in all of us who believe in Jesus Christ. There is this way of the world. There is this way of the doom cycle. There is this way of, of if I just get a little bit more, if I could just get this thing to work out, if I could just have some assurance. But there's also Christ working on the inside of us. This hope that we have in Jesus that is working on the inside of us that says, hey, put your hope in God, this God that Paul encountered, that he still hoped in while being chained to a wall underneath a house, this power that works on the inside of us. Jesus, I'm here to tell you, is coming to the rescue in our problems. He's coming with healing. He's coming with deliverance. He sets people free from prison. He sets marriages straight. He gets people jobs who are chronically unemployed. Paul had this revelation. Many people know the Jesus of the Bible. Many people, the demons even know the scriptures. But Paul, he knew this God of the Christmas story. This Jesus who comes like a little baby. He knows this, 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 this story of the one that is beyond what we can imagine in our own hearts. There is this God the world believes. This God who's just out there somewhere. There's just this, this, this intellectual, I understand the story, I've heard it before. I, I, I grow up in America, so I heard the gospel. There, there is that. There is that understanding in America, in God we trust. We're a Christian nation, all this stuff. And then there are people who actually knew God. There are people who have actually received Him. And He lives on the inside of us. And He is working on the inside of us. Paul knew this God, and he knew that God actually wants to live, not just out there somewhere, not just some intellectual thing, but a God who lives in our hearts. This, this, this thing where he writes that this God who is working on the inside of us, who does exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think. Before he writes that, he writes this in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. He says, for this reason, I bend my knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name that He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with the power through His Spirit 
in the inner self so that Christ may dwell where? In your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love. Paul knew that this God, God, lots of people say God. This God, oh, I want to thank God. What, what God are you thanking? I hear people at the music awards who sing about the most defiling things in the world, the things I would never want to have happen to my family in a song. And then they get an award for it. And they go, I just want to thank God for this award. I promise you the God that I know did not give you that award. The God that I know is not giving out awards for those lyrics. I, 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 I can assure you, whatever God you are worshiping, I am not amening. This is not the same God. The God that I know is first peaceable. The God that I know brings hope. The God that I know brings assurance. The God that I know brings security and brings love. The God that I know you can count on. The God who is coming that we hope for is worth being worshipped. Paul hoped, what I hope, that Jesus would live in our hearts. How? He said it there, by faith. We have to protect our faith. We have to protect the hope Jesus has given us. You see, see, there's this thing that happens. It happened to Paul. We read about it. He's on his horse wanting to kill Christians. And he's on his horse and the God of heaven came and struck him and knocked him off his horse. And he said, who is that? Lord? And somewhere right in the midst of that sentence, Paul became Converted, he recognized that Jesus Christ is the Savior and he bowed his knee and he was radically, radically converted in that moment of salvation. Jesus moved on the inside of him. I don't know exactly how this happens. I don't know exactly how this works. Metaphysically is God who is everywhere, how he moves into my heart when he's already everywhere. I don't know that exactly. But I know that faith comes, this saving faith comes into our hearts that all of a sudden we are connected to the eternal God in a way that we have access to a hope that is beyond a hope that we are able to muster up ourselves. It's the promise that at the end of everything, that when everything that we know and everything we see, either we end or it ends, at the end, be it just for us or the end, big end, big period, end of everything, at the end, I am going to spend eternity in the presence of God. That is a hope that I have. This light, this life just flashes. It's, it's but a but a moment in time, it, it just, in light of eternity, what happens on this earth is, is but, a, but a flash. But at the end of this eternity, I am going to be found with Jesus. If you want to know where I am after I die, look for Jesus, because there is where I will be right next to him. The answer is not fixing your life or build a better facade to get joy. It's dragging that future hope that we have in Christ. I want you to hear this by faith, into my right now. John was able to look into the future that this Christ was coming. He's able to, by revelation, know that this Messiah, it was time for him to come. And John was able to look into that future and instead of just escaping right now and going there, he dragged there into here. John was able to live with a fulfillment and a prophetic understanding of his place in this Messiah in a way that what happened around him, what he saw with his eyes did not matter because he knew what the future was going to look like. He knew that in the future he would be spending eternity in the presence of God, that God would 
fulfill his word and come and rescue Israel. He would rescue his people. He would rescue the fallen humanity and that salvation would come in a way that he could not do with his own words. And John was desperately asking people, listen, you're trying to get this all right through religion and religion will never save anybody. You have to live by faith. And by faith, you could live in the preferred future that God has shown you right now. It's dragging that future joy that we have forever with Jesus into our present reality. It's when people turn on you saying, yes, I understand what they did, but I live in a future where I'll be reconciled with my loved ones. It's living in a future where there won't be conflict because of the devil anymore. It's a future that we'll be able to forgive easily. We'll be able to love with abundance. We'll be able to hope when all else seems lost. This is the hope that John had for all of us. This is what Paul knew. This is what Paul, when he wrote to the church in Rome, he said, oh, that's not it, I'm sorry. He says in Rome, in cha- excuse me, in Romans chapter 15, verse 13, I'm just scrolling through stuff here. Just take it down if you would, please. He says in Romans 15, 13, now may the God of all hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is one of my life verses. That the God of all hope will fill you with joy and peace in believing. That you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This world needs the power of the Holy Ghost today. They need a power of the Holy Spirit, not just to heal, not just to prophesy, but that we could actually live in joy and peace in a world of suffering. In a world stuck in a doom cycle, we don't have to be stuck in it. We don't have to be stuck in pessimism. We don't have to be stuck in depression. We can actually, by the power of the Holy Spirit, live in a hope that we could not know on our own. Amen? Amen. Are you feeling challenged today at all? I I hope that some people will put their faith in God in a way that makes your current struggles seem more irrational. I want us to be a church that hopes so radically that the world thinks that we're weird. I want to stand out from this world. Like, I am not troubled. I am not protesting anything. I have my hope in God. I don't need Disney to change. I don't need the elections to be protested. I don't need any of that because my hope is actually in the resurrection of Jesus. My future has already been decided. I already know what's coming in the future. I don't have to worry about any of these things. And none of these things will change what Jesus is going to do in the end. I talk to people. Who want to ask me questions. About marriage. About religion. About theology. And invariably, there's two people. There's people who actually want to learn, and then there's people who want to be told they're right. And I have very little time for people who want to be told they're right. And I sit down in marriage counseling at times, and then people begin arguing with me. And I say to them, invariably, you can argue all you want. I'm, my marriage is fine. We're not here for me. I'm here to help you. If you don't want my help, that, that, that's fine. You, you know, I, I would recommend listening 
so that maybe you could have hope. And here is the world that we live in that wants to argue this hope that we have. They are intent on making you as scared and as miserable as they are. And unfortunately, they have invaded the church. And there's whole parts of the church that are just consumed with making the world pessimistic and worried and doom-minded. I am not doom-minded. I know that my God wins. I got to the end of the book already. I've read it, and he wins, right? At the end, I look, there's worship in heaven, and then eventually there's worship on earth. That's where this whole thing is going. Jesus is Lord, and we will live in peace with a defeated devil. Here, here's, what, here's what John was talking about in Isaiah chapter 61. If you've got your Bible, just go ahead and just go on over to Isaiah 61. Here's some passages you're going to want to write down. Isaiah 61. Here we go. You ready? This is what John talked about. Isaiah 61. This is what he's quoting. He says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the humble. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to, re- to proclaim release to captives and freedom to those who are prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord in the day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes. See, when you were in mourning in Israel, you would pour ashes on your head because, oh my gosh, things are so bad, I need to mourn them. And Isaiah the prophet is like, a day is coming where you're going to want to mourn, but there's no reason to mourn because the Savior is here. And so we will put oil upon our heads. So that's kind of like the makeup, the foundation that you ladies put on with a spatula and just get all covered in. It's like, he's like, going to give you something better than the ashes. To grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the cloak of praise instead of a disheartened spirit, so they will be called the oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. That Why? That He may be glorified. God's not glorified in our misery. He's not, he's not glorified in our complaining. He's not glorified in our doomed death spiral. He's glorified in our joy. He's glorified in our hope. He's going to turn all these things, the prophet Isaiah was telling them. He's like, all these things look miserable. But God is coming, and he's turning all these things around. What do we do with this good news? As the church of Jesus Christ, what do we do? do? Verse 4. Then they will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the former desolations. They will repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. What does this mean? He's like, listen, here's what God is doing in our lives. And as God is beginning to talk to me about 2024 for our house, this is, this is what God is speaking to us. There are people who believe that the world is just going to get terrible and, and we just got to tie a, rot, a knot at the end of our rope and hang on for Jesus to come save us. Then there's those of us who have met the risen Christ who recognize we have an answer for the problems of this world. His name is Jesus and we are to put our hope in him. But we don't just hide in our closets and pray that God would change the world. We actually encounter God and we hear God for solutions to the problems of our day and age. One, one, one such solution is, is our ministry, the Go Team, who goes out to the revival pantry and feeds the homeless, who feeds the hungry in South Florida. We visit the prisoners in the jails 
in Broward County. We actually bring the good news to those who can't hear it on their own. It's you telling the people in your life, listen, God has a better life for you. He has a better future for you. He actually has a hope for you. There's actually good things coming in your life. We begin to rebuild the ruined cities. There are people in your life who are desperate to know the hope that you have in Jesus. There are people in your life who are desperate to know that there is something worth living for. We are in a suicidal society who has no hope for the future. And we live with this joy that we have in Christ Jesus, this presence that comes in worship, this presence that comes when we open his word, when we spend time with him, when we hear his voice speaking to our heart. Do not worry. I got you in this thing. We live in a world who's desperate to know that there is a God with answers. And here's who God always called us to be. Verse 6. You will be called the priests of the Lord. You will be spoken of as ministers of God. Let me have the worship team come up. You will eat the wealth of the nations and you will boast in their riches. Instead of shame, you will have a double portion. And instead of humiliation, they will shout with joy over their portion. This is where God is taking us. Amen. But we have to choose to be this. Listen, as we come near the end of the year, we have Christmas service next year, next week. And I want to encourage you to invite people to the Christmas service. People need to hear the gospel, need to hear the good news that Jesus Christ actually is God is for you and not against you. He has a future and a hope. He knew that you were showing up on the scene. He was not surprised when you were born. He wasn't surprised at your calamity. He actually has answers for our lives. We need to bring people who need to hear this gospel to the church of Jesus Christ. Furthermore, we need to live. Can you turn down the music just one touch while I'm speaking here? We, we need to live from this future. We need to hear God and understand the future that he has for us. We need to be a people who radically believes what God tells them. When God tells us, I got this, we say, I believe you, God. You got this. We need to radically understand that when God sent us to do something, He's for us and not against us. And we need to live from that revelation. When you spend time with God Sunday morning in church, when you spend time with God reading the Word, when you spend time with God praying, you choose to live from a different reality. You choose to live from a reality that God is in control. You choose to live with the reality that our King has authority over everything. Paul was writing to the church in Galatians. In Galatians chapter 4, he says to them, he says, you can take that down if you want. He, he says to them, listen, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm talking to you about this God that I know because this Christ is being formed on the inside of me. And in this entire passage of Scripture, Paul is talking in this maternal sense as if he is giving birth to Christ in the world. 
much like Mary, who we read about at the beginning of this service. It's a weird metaphor for men to resonate with, just like you women have to wrestle with being sons of God. We have to wrestle with Christ being formed in us and giving birth to this Jesus baby on the inside of us. But each of us who put our faith in Christ, Christ is being formed in us and we get to choose whether or not we will be transformed to the image of the God that's being formed in us. There's a choice we have to make. Will we allow Jesus to be formed in us in a way that affects the world around us? This Christ that the world desperately needs. Yes, Jesus was born 2,000 years ago of the Virgin Mary in that cave in Bethlehem, but Jesus is still being born today in people's lives, in people's hearts. He's being born on the streets when the go team goes out there and leads people in salvation. He's being born when people feed and when people love on the people in prison and they come to a revelation. They're being born back here in Revival Kids when our Revival Kids ministers minister to children and they recognize that Jesus is not just a story, but He's real. He's born when we sit around the table with our neighbors and our loved ones and we let them know, hey, I'm not telling you what to do, but let me tell you what happened when I put my faith in Jesus. Something changed on the inside of me. The gospel came to life. Christ is being formed in me right now in a way that He never has in the past. This is moving from just being someone who goes to church and becoming what Isaiah prophesied, this kingdom of priests. And let me tell you, when you choose, excuse me, when you choose to move into your priestly ministry, you're going to change the world around you. You're going to change the world around you. When you decide that I'm not just a person caught in the death spiral of this world, I'm actually sent as a priest into this world to minister the presence of God, to minister the life of God. I'm actually here with a purpose, and I can change the lives of people around me. Stand with me if you would. I would hope today that we could be like John the Baptist saying, as for me, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who's coming after me is mightier than I. It's not just about us getting our little God fix, getting our little Holy Ghost goosebumps at church. It's about carrying the presence of God in the world in a way that says, wherever I go, pay attention because Jesus is right behind me. Wherever I walk, Jesus is right behind me. The conversations that I'm having, they're making way for Jesus to come right behind me. I'm not fit to remove his sandal, but the one, he will baptize you in the Holy Ghost and fire. Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we do love you today. We look forward to the coming of Jesus and people who do not know him yet. But Father, right now, I pray for those who are dispirited. Father, those who are depressed, those who are having a hard time connecting with your promises. Who say, I believe the book, but I'm not sure I believe it for me. Yeah, 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 it's good for other people, but I don't know that I need the God of all creation 
the one who created heaven and earth, the one who spoke me into existence, the one who will determine what happens in the end. I'm not sure I need him in my life, Father. I pray. I pray that we would come across people who desperately, desperately know that there's something more, that they aren't the greatest thing that was ever created on this planet, but there is one, the Son, Jesus Christ, who's worthy to be worshipped, who's worthy to be praised, who's worthy to be followed. Father, I pray that we could be like John, boldly proclaiming that Jesus Christ is the Lord and that He will come, that He will change lives, that He will baptize in the Spirit, that He will speak to, He will love, He will redeem. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus for us that we would be the people of God in this generation. Father, I pray to you today as a desperate man. Desperate to see your glory. Desperate, desperate to see your hand of salvation. Desperate to see you break in to lives. Desperate to see your redeemed calls. I come to you desperate, Father, that those whose faith have been shipwrecked by the lies of narcissists. The lies of those who put faith in themselves instead of faith in you. Father, that you would save them. You would save them from the destructive lies of the devil. Father, I pray as a desperate man that you would save those who have laid down the call of God in their lives and have moved on with something else. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus for South Florida that you would raise up people who are sold out for you, who would love you radically, who would not see you as just something they do on the weekends, some weekends, but would see you as the Lord the creator of heaven and earth. And as your church, as your beautiful, wonderful, spotless bride. Father, I pray a man desperate for a people who would see worshiping you with the saints on Sunday as a holy call. Something that changes lives. Something that radically transforms generations. Something to be preciously held. I come to you, Father, as a man desperate to see your hope manifest in the lives of people. To see a tangible visitation of the hope beyond hope. The God of all hope. Desperate, Father. Desperate to see you. To see first love come to life again. A rekindling of first love. Father, I come desperate. Just pray in the Spirit, church. I come desperate. 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 That the church in South Florida would see this world for what it is. Filled with empty promises. Seduced by the world. 
seduced by lies that the world cannot fulfill. God, I don't come as one hopeless, but I come one desperate, desperate to see the God of all hope manifested in South Florida. Lord, I'm desperate to see your glory. I'm desperate to see your righteousness. And I'm desperate to see your holiness. Desperate to see a church vibrant and alive. Awake to your spirit. Eagerly speaking that all things are possible for one who would believe. And Father, as we are one way, one week away from Christmas Sunday and just a handful of days away from Christmas. Desperate to see a church that rejoices in your coming. We pray all this in the name above all names. The matchless, beautiful, wonderful name. The name Jesus.